the Blatherings conversation. Ken Napsok with you. I want to shout out all the people who uh, saw me in New York City, New York Comedy Club out there on 4th Street East Village. What a lot of fun we had out there. Uh, you know, I was expecting rain. Instead, we got warm hugs and laughter. Oh, thank you all. Uh, and also those who are supporting my album release, In My Day, available on Bandcamp. Uh, the special edition is. And also out there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, all that fun stuff. Thank you all. But enough of that bullshit. We are here for a very fun conversation with one of my favorite new people in my life, meaning I have met him over, over the course of the last couple of years doing comedy uh, at Flappers in Burbank. But, oh, he goes way beyond that place. Uh, you might know him by his brand name on Instagram, a bougie bisexual. But please welcome to the show. Uh, my friend, as they say in comedy, hopefully or soon, Christopher Cowan Blonde. How are you doing, Christopher? Hello, hello. I'm happy to be here. Well, good. I'm happy to have you. And I'm going to start by telling a little story uh, and praising you, okay? I, I, I have a can you accept praise comfortably? Okay. Yes, I can. Okay, okay, because I can't. If people say nice things about me, I run away, maybe even screaming at them. Um, you're one of the bravest comics I see out there, and let me explain. Um, there was one particular night, and you host a lot, you go on stage a lot, not just at Flappers, all around the city. Uh, you, you, you have a style that's very unique. Sometimes you're, you got your bits. Other times you go up there and just free form and free flow and just find yourself in the moment, and it's wonderful, and that's brave. And There was one night, I was going up number two, and the first comic was a guy who rushed into the green room and did that whole thing where he's like, hey, can I go up first? I have another gig. Like, okay, Jay Leno, whatever. You're gigging around town. And he was supposed to do 10 minutes. The rest of us had five. He goes up. He was a white dude from Boston. I got no problems with white dudes from Boston. Yeah, I get it. I get it. It's an atmosphere. It's a, it's a, it's a vibe. And he did 10 minutes of the most like toxic, masculine, chauvinistic, sexist, mid-90s, making a comeback now comedy and the crowd didn't just they were uncomfortable they were angry and they didn't know what to do with it and he was upset at the crowd for being upset at him he goes off stage i come up and as i'm coming up i'm number two and i'm thinking should i should i call it out should i say something no let me just put my head down and pretend it didn't happen and do my set and i didn't have a good set because the crowd was kind of like didn't ken just see what happened you came up and i don't even know if you were hosting you might have just been doing a set but you came up shortly after and the comic had left the building because he had other gigs. And you politely, professionally, you didn't rip into him personally. You ripped into the moment and you won that crowd over in a way. And I was sitting in the back having some shrimp scampi or whatever they serve their flappers thinking this guy, Christopher, has an iron will on stage that I wish I had. That's why I consider <laughs> you one of the bravest comics I know. Oh, thank you. I it's, it's it's wild because you could be talking about any night. I love those are like my favorite moments. Those are my favorite favorite moments at comedy shows, and I think I think audiences love it too. I think that's why it was so easy to turn them because they were probably waiting like like. Who's gonna say it? Who's gonna say <laughs> Who's it? Who's gonna say it? It was such an honest moment, and and I, I and, and and my choice was maybe you know a stoic professional comic. Let's not do, you know the guy's just trying to do his work, but he was an yeah. asshole. He was an asshole, mm -hmm. and and it needed to be said. And and assholes can get. You know, they can have big podcasts and they can have big numbers, but they're still assholes. And the crowd knows it when they when it goes wrong. Anyways, that's that that was I'd known you before, but that was my true introduction to you. I was like, I love this guy. I, I love I love that that's the you know what's so crazy? I want that to be how I get introduced to the world. <laughs> like I want I want people, I want I don't I don't want I mean it would be cool if if 
like later on they find out, oh, he's he's a really good comedian, actor, writer, blah, blah. but I want them to hear about me like, you hear about this guy? He calls himself a bougie bisexual and he goes up and rips into the president. Like, I don't know. Like, like whatever, whatever's happening in the moment, I would love to be the one that that, you know, cause it. Hey, it, it's there. You're honest to yourself. You're honest to your audience. And that fuels a lot of what I know of you already. Um, what, uh, where are you right now uh, as a comic, as, as a citizen of L.A.? You came from, you're Tennessee-based before? Yes, Memphis, Tennessee, Memphis. yes. Uh, yes, absolutely. Where did you come out to, to, to pursue this dream? So I came out to Los Angeles in the middle of the pandemic. Now, <sighs> yeah. keep in mind, I'm coming from the South. So the pandemic is ended. So like, <laughs> the, day, the day it started, it ended. It was done. The bars were back open. People were back drunk in the street like nothing had ever happened. The br- then, their brains are dripping out of their eyes. And they're like, their it's just the flu. Dripping. Half of their family's dead. They're just, they're just in the street like, I don't know. Was that rain? I don't know. And mind you, I'm not coming from, I'm coming from the most Southern, well, actually, no. I think they're they're number two to another state. Hmm. But I'm coming from the most wild of the wild, wild west. I'm coming from Houston, Texas. Oh. I'm coming from Texas. Some, I went to college. Okay. I went to college in uh, Houston. I went there straight from Memphis. So that's where I was okay. coming from when I got to Houston. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. Wow. Uh, so you hit here. What, what, what? Uh, this show, I often interview comics because I've been around them for 20 plus years now, and they're fascinating and broken people all at the same time. Um, what drove you're also a writer and an actor as, as well, and I don't say that lightly, yeah. that those are valuable, uh, hard pursuits as well. But comedy is a particular brand of broken. What, what, what made you turn, turn your eyes to that? So, um, my relationship with the arts is that I discovered it in high school in theater. And I've always been, like, as a, I think that this is, I can only speak from, like, living life in in the Black community. Being funny is is a high-value currency. Mm. You can do a lot with a good yo mama joke in the Black community. You can can go so far with some good jokey jokes. So... I've always been funny, yeah. but I never, I, I like, like being a comedian didn't really, I, I wish, then again, I guess you shouldn't because it changes who you are, but I, I wonder what it would have been like if as a child, I would have been staying up watching stand-up comedians mm. and stuff like that. The only comic that I always enjoyed and always had my ear and eye out for was Chris Rock. Like Chris mm-hmm. Rock is mm-hmm. like, and but but being a comedian was never my thing and in high school I fell in love with acting and I told my theater teacher that I wanted to go to New York and be an actor and he said that if you go to New York you're going to be broken homeless you should go to law school I see that for you and that's what happened I I went to uh, study pre-law and one day I was in a so when you're getting ready to go to law school you usually like um, there, there's there's two major waiting periods um, on the journey to become an attorney. There's the the journey when you're studying for the LSAT to uh, you know 
to get the score to try to apply to your ideal law school. And then it's after law school when you're applying for the bar or you're studying to take the bar. And in, I was a senior in school. So this is, I'm like headed towards the end. Yeah. And I was a part of this. So there's a conglomerate grocery called HEB. And they were doing this fellowship where you work for them and you work on their legal end and you kind of work under them and learn what it looks like to be a lawyer. And they sponsor you and and give you a certain type of stipend under the notion that once you graduate law school, you will come back and work for the company. That's kind of how the program works. A part of the program, though, to get in the part of their interviewing process was we had to write a commercial and act it out. And it, it couldn't be a, it couldn't be like a, um, we're like in, in the room. Like, yeah. so it couldn't be like, like a big production. It had to be, you write it out monologue style. So, so you basically write out this, this thing and you sell them a product. And everybody was like, what? Mind you, these are, these are lost. So yeah, just to know attorneys, as boring as bread, like, like sourdough bread lawyers are. And they, everybody's just like, well, I don't know, it? and I'm like, got in the bag. Bag it up, kids. I got this one. So I go do it and I light up that room. Like, mm. like I, I, I go somewhere else. And it was the loudest, it was like the, and I call it just the, the universe. I'm a Christian, so I believe mm-hmm. in like those type of who's spirits yeah. and stuff. And I, like something in me was like, you need to pursue that. Yeah. Like, like something, like, like something in me just told me that's what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. So I still didn't think of comedy. I knew that I had just, um, I essentially performed a set. I essentially yeah. performed a set in front of them. And then I went, I found an open mic night. I went up. I did, I wrote one joke. I wrote one joke and just assumed the rest would come to me. <laughs> wow. I wrote one See? Joke. Brave. Maybe slightly <laughs> naive, but brave. <laughs> I wrote one and I still, I like tweaked it. But the joke was essentially, um, it was essentially, because I think I used to tell it all the time. I've changed it, but I think the joke was uh, I go to Target all the time and those workers know I have no life and no friends. At least they don't know I'm stealing. Like that was the joke. Like that was the that was the joke. And then after that, I got a big laugh. And then after that, like we were just kind of just like sitting and I was just like, and I remember leaving because I had got that big laugh and then started talking and just it, it was awful yeah and yeah. I remember going to my car and feeling these two strong emotions I felt super sad and embarrassed that I just did so bad but I also felt this sense of sadness because I was like that's what I that's that that's what I'm supposed to be doing that's what so then um I got into improv to try to beat stage fright it, okay. it didn't it, it doesn't uh, but from that point on, I just started learning how to write proper material. And and then I, you know, ventured off. I knew just from just research and meeting people. One of my old improv teachers, he has said to me that uh, most of a lot of a lot of people come and go, you know, a lot a lot of people go out to Los Angeles and New York. 
And I remember asking him, like, you know, is this because at this point, this is this is a turning stone where I have to make the decision. Either I'm going to pursue this thing or I'm going to go to law school. And every single person in my life was saying the same thing. Oh, go to law school, become an attorney and then do it after. And I just instinctively knew that was just the wrong path to take. Mm. And I went, but it, it kind of got down to the wire where I needed to make some type of decision on what I was going to do in my life. Yeah. And that's how I made the decision to come to Los Angeles. That, see, this this keeps uh, this keeps in line with everything I've thought about you. The absolutely brave and honest to yourself. And I think we all have those kind of moments. I've had them too. Uh, you know, the promotion opportunity at the day job pops up just as you have to make a choice for your career. And I've uh, mm-hmm. chosen the career, uh, you know, almost every time. Uh, it took me a while. Uh, that's what you talk about this eureka moment of, of, of learning. And I love how you described it sadness and embarrassment for maybe that was a bad seven minutes of an eight minute set, but that minute making you sad in a happy way. It's fascinating. Yeah. That, 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 yeah. that was the hammer to the head you needed. Yeah. It's a, I, I feel like it's kind of the, 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 that kind of that tick that I think all comedians have. Cause I, I truly think that there's something, there's something off with, with comedians that we need <laughs> We need laughter. And I really, and I think that the more damage, the bigger the star. Like, if you look at all of like the stars out there, like, have you been watching the Vice? uh, dark side of comedy. <laughs> I haven't picked. I, I, I you know, I, I worked in pro wrestling for a long time, and so I haven't even gone to their dark side of the ring one because it's too yeah, real. It's <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm going to get to the comedy one. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's kind of like the 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 a, a bit of the same sort in a way. Yeah, yeah. like I was watching the episode on um, uh, Chris Barley, mm-hmm. and they talked a lot about how uh, what what really fueled his addiction was his his bad relationship with his body image issues yeah yeah but at the same token the they had like writers of people who had worked with him and they were right in the script fatty falls down yeah and and get huge laughs and he had this this confliction of i have to do this thing but it's like hurting me yeah. and i think that as comedians we kind of have these these conflicting things that we that we still feel like energized to pursue yeah you know it, it's part of what we're exploring up there and, and that's why I, I you know nothing against class clowns even if you 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 talk about your currency being humor coming up but uh, i don't necessarily consider it just simply a class clown but class clowns to me always have the vibe of they make a joke everyone laughs they move on uh it's seinfeld that said uh, i would make a joke kids would laugh and seven months later i'd be asking myself why did that how did that work how can i make it better and how can i get that feeling again um so we're all working through stuff and and i'm not gonna assume you're working through a ton of stuff on stage sometimes you're just damn funny but even your branding i want to talk about your branding your your instagram channel which is just wonderful i want people to follow uh uh, you uh, uh a bougie bisexual i've watched you kind of developed that a little bit over the last year or so unless i'm incorrect in that you've had it longer that but it just seems like it's a part of you it is the biggest part of you and you're owning it and and coming to that realization on stage a little bit right is or am i off a little bit no you're absolutely correct i think for a while i i i knew that like like from 
from the beginning, I, I also had that thing, this Seinfeld, I think I articulated it, well, at least I didn't have the language to articulate it, where I wanted to say something funny, but wanted to mean something to the audience, but also to me. Uh, like I wanted it to be coming from yeah. this, because I, a part of it, and I'm a Scorpio, and, and I, I'm not like super crazy on the zodiacs, but it's kind of helped me understand pretty, like why I think the way I think. Yeah. I'm very kind of mysterious in a way sometimes, but I think that when when like my biggest goal, especially in the past few months, was I really want to be vulnerable. Like I really wanted to mm. tell those truths of of my feelings in my life. And that's kind of how I saw leaning into the bougie bisexual of it and mm. kind of peeling back that layer of how I actually see my sexuality, how I actually see my economic standing, how I actually see myself in society yeah. and in trying to like, and, and I guess do what I call it working, working things out. I think like digging, like, like I'm always mm. like, that's the thing that's, that's always in my head when I'm writing material, mm. I'm always asking myself, Am, am I digging? Am I digging? Like, like, is, is there deeper I can go? Like, like what, like I'll write a joke and I'll look at that joke and I'll just ask myself, what does this mean? Or what does it really mean? Okay. It really means that, but what does that really mean? Yeah. Like I'll, I always try to keep digging into things. Yeah. See, I knew you were smarter than me. This is, this is, <laughs> um, this is insightful. No. And it shows, it, it shows in just who you are, uh, on stage. And, and, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure there's, uh, um, just some of the places you've come from, your upbringing, belief systems, uh, having to dig with on, within those systems and within those communities to find yourself and find out who you are to yourself has probably made your comedy even more poignant, or at least your search for poignancy in comedy more important. It did. It, and I, also, I always, at a young age... And I say, I don't know where it comes from, but like, like maybe family members are like, ah, oh, I put that in your head. But I, I was always somebody who I didn't have the most ideal, you know, upbringing, mm. but at a young age, I always made the decision that like, I'm, you're talking to a person who I left high school and I never went back. Mm. Like I didn't go home for 10 years. Mm. And even then, I wouldn't have went if my aunt wasn't so sick. I thought that it would be the last time I see my aunt, and that's why I tried to go see. But at a, I remember my senior year of high school telling everyone like, "I'm never coming back," and yeah. and making and kind of making this this decision that you know all the things around me that were hurting me wouldn't matter because I was I was I was gonna pave a new path for myself mm-hmm. even with like being bisexual mm-hmm. it, it wasn't something that I didn't really know what bisexual was like like as a I don't even think I, I was familiar with that phrase like I think mm-hmm. even now like a part of what I get feedback from like um people who like I, I'm like shy about saying it but like fans like like when they reach out to me like I recently had a couple come come to a show to see me and it I could have like cried I'm like oh wow like like this this is so cool and they kind of quietly told me that like the husband was bisexual mm. and he was like I, I love the way you talk about it like I love the like like you know we don't hear people talk about it and he's right like 
when I was growing up, at least I, it was straight or gay. It was, it was right. either you're gay or you're straight and you're on the down low or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But, but there wasn't really a, um, there, the spectrum didn't exist, if you will. So hey, being, I, I grew up in the eighties. It was either you're straight or a sinner. And that's yeah. the, what my church taught me. Yeah. And you know, one of the jokes, um, one of the jokes that I, I hold dear to me is I say, I'm, I think I'm bisexual. No, I was saying I'm bisexual because I went to a lot of gay clubs growing up church. That is like a, and I, and I know, I know the, the, I know it's like a fiery joke, but that's me. Like, that's like, like that's me. Like who's going to go at it. Who's going to put, put myself out there. Yeah. And I do it from a place of like, like a lot of people talk about like making your inner child happy, but yeah. I, I think I've already made him happy. I kind of want to at least make space for other kids who were, who, who were or are yeah. like I was and, and yeah. to, 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 to kind of give, give that type of exposure. Did, did you have any, any person, anything, any piece of media that helped you in that regard coming up or did you have to dig uh, to find this yourself? Ironically enough. So, so my, and then like another thing about like the whole sexuality thing, it's, it's, I used to think that it was kind of like weird but I think it's just like my story. So coming out, I'm a I'm a lot more um, I'm a lot more I'm not a stereotypical black guy. <laughs> and where I was from, where I was from, I can genuinely say I was around a lot of stereotypical black people. Like a lot of the kids, like thugged out athletes, or like rappers, or like like tough guys, especially like the boys in my family. And I was never really like that. I was always very um, heavily attracted to girls. Okay. And I remember being so. Attra- I remember my 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 and it worked for a while my uh how would i say my like scheme used to be become best friends with a girl become best friends with all her best friends make her laugh and then she'll be my girlfriend and that and i did that a lot like as a kid i had so many girlfriends yeah and i ended up primarily like being around girls and like like being into what girls are into which made me a lot more feminine than, than, you know, like the average little boy. Yeah. And I like, like genuinely the way I ended up start experimenting is that like a lot of people don't know this. Yeah. So back in the day, um, when, when like Wi-Fi, like Wi-Fi wasn't as advanced as it is now, but back then Wi-Fi was around. Oh yeah. I know. Yeah. You know how, do you remember how um, you could get on blocked websites if you put HTTPS? Yes. Yes. Yes, right? Yes. So I remember I was a part of all, I grew up in the Barbell, so I was part of all the church programs, all the churches, like all the stuff. And and here's the thing. In churches, you can't get on porn on, on the church Wi-Fi. Yeah. But you can get on gay porn. Only straight, only, and I swear, kids, if you're in, if you, if you have a church camp to go to or a fall retreat, check it out. And here's the, here's the genuine thinking. I could not access any straight porn. Gay porn was all I had. And 
at the same time, because of my feminine ways, other kids start calling me gay. So like, girls weren't really into me that way. Mm, so what yeah. happened was other closeted gay boys were into me. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, what? And, 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 and I, for the longest, for the mm. longest, like all the way even into high school, I genuinely would be so offended when people would be homophobic towards me because I would feel like you put this on me. I was not watching gay porn <laughs> you until this. you sent me to church camp and yeah. you took away my strength porn. <laughs> so what was I supposed to do? This that is genuinely how it all went down. And yeah. then, of course, like, like I, you know, continuously explore it. But that's genuinely how, like, my how my sexuality came to me. Uh, this is fantastic. Uh, first of all, I hope this uh, not only is a, a part of your set, I hope this becomes a, a central a I bit. I probably should. I've never talked about this. It's, it's got to be, it's gotta be a central bit in your first hour when that's released because this is amazing. Yeah, with, yeah. because often I think with, with uh, under the banner of moral panics, whether it be the 1950s overall or just church panics, I always I came up in the satanic panic of the 80s. It's a little bit of yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you. I don't want you to go get a girl pregnant, so you, I'm gonna lock you in your room with your best friend, and then you and your best friend end up jerking each other off. You know, like yeah. it's like you did this. I wouldn't yeah, have done that. Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and yeah. I, I see and hear those stories time and time and time again. Uh, because this fear of this moral panic doesn't deal with the reality of what's going on. Uh. It it's very, it's very delusional. Yeah. Most of it, most of it is quite delusional. Quite. So there you go. If anything, kids, uh, if you're stuck in a vacation Bible school on your iPhone, uh, you uh, can take it from Christopher. Uh, you can look up uh, the, the yeah. gay porn of your dreams. Um, that's amazing. Do you, I, I, let's let's go let's go big. Let's go deep here on this here. Uh, you uh, you still find yourself with, within uh, the, the structure of, of, of the of faith system, Christianity. It's the one I was raised in uh, and still uh, hold to the tenets, though I don't hold to the people as much anymore in the church, uh, especially the politics they play. But but uh, that's a fascinating I think people would still be unfortunately confused by that. Where's where's your heart with that when you finally come to the hey, this is who I am. What's what do you feel God's answer is? I, I wanted I want this big philosophical question answered, Christopher. You know, in high school, I did used to like a part of me. Um, in high school, I used to think like, oh, none of it will matter because one day I'll have a wife and kids, and like n none of it will matter. The, the, the game will be not just prayed away, but it'll be washed away. Yeah, like it'll be gone away. Like I'll just be faithful to my wife and I'll just, I'll be done sucking dick. Like it'll be, it won't be a dick to be seen. And I think what, what I believe is that your relationship with God belongs to God. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely used to struggle a lot with mm -hmm. my relationship with God. And I will say, um, Maybe I would feel differently. Like I, I don't, I don't have this, this, this internal uh, secular sh struggle mm -hmm. with, with spirituality. But I think that's probably because I have, I have transcended my knowledge of the subject. Like, mm -hmm. I, like I've transcended my understanding of these texts, and I, I've, mm -hmm. I've, I've gone to a a mental place where I've reached the understanding of. You know, I didn't buy the bisexual ticket. Like I didn't like, you know, like I didn't, 
I didn't, you know, like if, if this is Adam and Eve, I, I don't recall eating a bisexual banana. So <laughs> if, if God didn't want me to be bisexual, God shouldn't have, like, let's think about it, right? You have to, like, if you think about like, like it's like God says, you're not killing it is a sin. You have to do a lot to kill someone, you know, mm-hmm. like you have to like actively go as an action. Being 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 a sexuality mm-hmm. isn't an action. It's 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 a being. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I don't I don't my my relationship with my my religion isn't as skewed. However, I think that when you get to a certain space in life, your your lifestyle re- reflects that as well. Because mm-hmm. what it work, you know. I'm a guy in his early 20s living in a metropolitan city. Mm. I might, I might later in life where I'm, because I've always seen my story ending in the suburbs, married with kids. Maybe I'll struggle differently, like like mm. when you know I'm I'm there, you know. Right. So because in because I think that I thought about it more as a youth because church was like such a thing there, like like church sure. was Memphis, yeah. That, Activity. Like every, even like when I came out here, I was kind of surprised that um, things are like open su- Sunday morning. Things aren't just yes. open yes. maybe now, but, but I actually still don't even think so because like even in Texas, you can't buy alcohol mm-hmm. before. Like, I don't know. If, is that, I, I can't, I don't think it is. I'm sure it's not here, but no, you no. can't. Not yeah, not. you can buy alcohol. No. Like there's a window of time where you can buy alcohol on yeah. on certain days in the south. And even if you go um outside of the cuz cuz Memphis, I like to say Memphis is a big city but it's a small town. Sure. It's a very big city. It's a very uh, flagrant like people know about it. It has it's a lot of um figures who come out of it. Yeah. So it's but it but it has a very small mindset mm-hmm. in most towns most towns are like Memphis in the South are kind of like that. Mm. So you, you, you can't help, but see it and deal with it. Yeah. Like I remember, I remember this guy I used to have sneaky links with in, in high school. <laughs> sneaky, um, what'd you call sneaky, sneaky links, sneaky links. You, you sneak away and get the hunching. <laughs> I remember I just think, and he would do it. Yeah. He would like mention it sometimes, but yeah, yeah. one, um, and you cut me off if, if, if I shouldn't do, do too many stories, Do it. but I'll, I'll like summarize this one. So yeah. I met Joel Osteen before he was Joel Osteen. Oh, so wow. a lot of people don't yeah. know Joel Osteen. There was a time where Joel Osteen wasn't Beyonce. He was a very, yeah. he was like, he was, he was a known pastor, but he was a known amongst the Bible belt. Like yeah. he, yeah. like right now, I, I truly believe some people, um, especially people who go to his church when they're praying to Jesus, they're, they're imagining Joel. Like I, like, like he's, he's so synonymous with Jesus Christ. Like yes. nowadays, like he's, he's really ascended to yes. become these, these, but at the time, yeah. yeah. He earned his oaths, uh, like a lot of these pastors do, which is a whole nother conversation about ethics. Mm. But they earned their oaths going to these uh, teenage Christian retreats and camps. Right, right. And basically they go there and, and, and have this type of conversation. And then naturally you go back to your parents and say, oh, you know, this Joel guy. And they go, oh, maybe we should go sign up for his church. Um, mm. At the time, 
I remember I was having this hookup with, with one of the kids. Because I do joke about this in my set. It is so ironic how parents in the South send their gay kids to church camp, mm. never realizing what happens when all the gay kids are together at the church camp. So <laughs> I think they just roast marshmallows. They pray to Jesus. And yeah. it's okay. So um, I interrupted this kid praying his gay away and got the gay in with him. And... <laughs> We later on that night, Joel <laughs> did a uh, a a guest a guest sermon. Yeah, and he shows up, and this is when Katy Perry was first getting famous. Right, and remember she had how, come from the church. She had come from the yeah, church, and that's where I'm getting at. So, yeah. Katy, a lot of people don't know. I think well, I think people hear about it now, but for a long time, she she really put put a lot of uh, money into hiding this. Yeah. Katy Perry was actually pretty big in the Christian world. Mm-hmm. She was a Christian singer and she was like in one of those cookie bands. Mm-hmm. And the the and, and she was supposed to take, so Katy Perry was supposed to take Christian music mainstream. Right. Like right. she got her record deal, she was supposed to become the the Jesus's Madonna. Like she was like like that was what she was supposed to do. And then she came down with I kissed a girl yeah. and they wanted to nail her to the cross. Yeah. They were, they were like, mm-hmm. you are gonna die for this. And every pastor was just trollocking the, the land, yeah. talking to kids about her because they were trying to kill her career. They were trying yeah. to like get get this song killed or whatever. Wow. But yeah. he's doing this sermon about Katy Perry. And I'm sitting there, and even as a child, I was very in the know. Like, I, yeah. I always was like, this is stupid. I remember looking at Katy Perry and just being like, I don't even think she is a lesbian. I think she's just <laughs> doing this. Like, I remember just, like, always having this snark about me. Yeah. And I remember, like, sitting in church, like, this is so stupid. <laughs> and I, like, and I just think, like, I can, like, I'm, like, going back to it on my I remember being like this. Yeah. You know, I'm like, because I was that kid, and even as an adult, I do this at work to my coworkers. I love to like see something and whisper jokes in the person uh, right. ear. Right. And I remember like whispering jokes to him, and he was like laughing at the guy that I had just hooked up with. And I remember saying the joke, and I didn't hear him like laugh, and I said it again. And then I turned to him, and he was like crying. Hmm. And I was like, and me, my little evil Scorpio gay brain was like, ew, he's crying. I want to hook up after this. What is he doing? This is totally <laughs> I, can't, off. I can't hook That's up with emotional I'm literally emotion. thinking this in the middle of, yeah, it's like, it's crazy. I'm, I'm like thinking this in the middle of serve. And Joel is like, if you have been doing something um, under, I can't remember the, the, the biblical term for gay. It's a biblical term for gay. But he was like, stand up and come and repent. <laughs> And I remember being like, nice try. And the God just ascends. God has lifted him up. He walks up and points me out. No, I'm sorry. What? Like, literally, I'm watching him walk up to there. And I'm like, this is so stupid. Because in kids... Because I've done it before. Sometimes in the heat of the moment, like, I don't know if you've seen, like, like those pictures on YouTube where a woman catches the Holy Ghost and she uh, is, like, yelling and screaming and stuff. Yeah. Sometimes, like, they're all fake. But sometimes yeah. you you get caught up in it. And yeah. you're like, whoo! Yeah. And you just, like, the excitement. And that's what I thought was happening with him. 
And I'm like, oh, like, good for you. Have your moment. And he, like, points me out. And thank God um, there were other gay kids repenting. So I kind of got lost in the fray. And I was able to kind of, like, yeah. like stick to the back. But yeah. I remember never liking Joel ever since then. And the next yeah. time I saw Joel, he was, like, he had bought that big, um, like, the church he has now. It like the 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 structure. It used to be the um, the rocket, the Houston Rockets arena. Yeah, yeah. And I remember being like, "This is that freak that tried to out me." Like, I, <laughs> like it, it, it was it was so crazy. That's, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, no, a, a tax free uh, organization that he is in. I'm sure. Yeah, no. I mean, that's why I love the Righteous Gemstones. Uh, 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 you know, it's based in a lot of truth. Did, did, so this kid, did he like? What he actually wheeled around and like pointed and said, "This one too." Like yeah, like he went up and he was like, um, me and him, and he pointed like right at me. But because there was like a line of kids, uh, then, yeah, looked, yeah, like it was a it was like a moment where um, because it happens in every church and in adult churches they do it because this is the time where the pastors make their money. Yeah. Pastors like every church knows. They make the most money when they can get the most people to stand up and be saved and catch the Holy Ghost. Mm. Some churches are even known to have fake people go up mm. and get saved just to get the morale going and yeah. inspire others. Um, hey, it works. When I was yeah. in radio, we used to fake concert winners so more people would call in. It, it's a proven science. Yeah, <laughs> it's a, yeah, it works. It works. You gotta get you gotta get those claps. Uh, that this is fascinating. And yeah, and I. Um, I went through two phases of it where early 80s, uh, even though they, they were the biggest band in the world, but they were known differently. You too had come from, quote, a Christian background, which when yeah, you look at it, there was some truth that some not just from the Irish Catholic upbringing. And they, and people in my church were told we were they, we were told, you know, don't you can't listen to you too. They've backslidden. But then later it was Amy Grant when Amy Grant. The, the she was the late 80s, mid mid to late 80s, uh, singing El Shaddai. She was the golden girl of, of, of church music, of Christian pop. And when she went secular, my God, it was the pitchforks came out and it was like you needed to burn your Amy Grant CDs. Uh, so that's fast. I didn't live through the Katy Perry one other than I just saw when she was kissing girls on MTV. Yeah. Um, that's fascinating stuff that you're telling me and, and, mm -hmm. and, and how you've emerged from that. And, and to see and seems as though, again, I never want to put words in any guest mouth, but you, you've you, you've pushed past the people speaking for God and have spoken to God, it seems, to get some clarity on who you are and where you are and, exactly. and, and like, find I some acceptance. I no longer owe it. All right, we did it. We did a harsh cut because we got so into this interview, and Christopher does uh, have he has a stand up set tonight, so I want to get him to that. But we got so into uh, our conversation, Christopher, you faded away into the darkness of your kitchen. I and did. You're back. That was that was that was the devil claiming me. He was like, "This is <laughs> this is my section. They're talking religion, and I need to show them that I am in the building." You're talking religion and uh, and sexuality. Uh, in the time we have remaining here, this is fascinating. I, I want to hear more of this, and we're gonna next time we're around each other, uh, we're gonna we're gonna pull up to a bar, uh, and uh, whether you drink or not, we're gonna talk about all of this. This is fascinating. Um, yeah, and I love where it's leading, and it's and one of the smartest things you've you've said a lot of smart things today, Christopher. But in hearing you tell the story of, hey, this 
is where I am now, and 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 maybe I do end up in the suburbs, married with with kids, and and, and who I'm married to, we'll see. And when I get there, we'll see. It's an ongoing journey, and it seems like you are you, you realize that, but also have taken some great strides in the last year or two. And comedy's definitely factored into that. So I, that's no no question. Just a statement or a pat on the back for you. I think I think you got a great look uh, at, at where you're going and where you've been. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, comedy itself here, um, you, I know you mostly as a host and, and you, again, that's, I don't want to ever pigeonhole any performer, but I, in my earlier days of stand up, was the host. I was the host and I love doing it. It's an art. I think, uh, there's, it, uh, you talk about, we talked off air about protecting the show and, and you also are exposed to a lot more comics than just, you know, my friends, very talented friends would swing in, they do their set, and they go back downstairs and they start eating dinner and they drink and people are hanging around them and the girls I was attracted to but didn't look my way were hanging on them. And I, and I was upstairs hosting with 15 comics, 10 of them horrible. Um, it's it's a gauntlet, but it's an art. And, and how have you f- found yourself as a comic being a host as, as compared to just doing sets? I I will say this. I think that as a as a as the MC, I take it seriously as you're someone who's setting up this to be a good show. And you're also someone who's steering the ship to keep it being a good show, even if comedians aren't doing so well. Mm. One thing that I did do to keep myself alive is that I didn't do the whole thing where I only did my traditional like hosting set where yeah, it's yeah. like tried and true and and I know this gonna work the room. I usually would split it in half or even have fun with it if I felt like I could get away with it, where I would have half a tried and true and I would still do my new stuff or still do stuff that um, I would never do anything too fresh, but because I actually write more than I perform, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm constantly writing new jokes. So sometimes I genuinely will forget my old stuff because like my mind has just been on new stuff. I get that. So that's it, that's been a way for me to keep keep myself honest in being a host and keep myself from becoming too bittered. I think that's what happens sometimes, and na- and it naturally should happen because you you're you're at the party but you're not able to have fun at the party yeah. like it's such yeah. a, like, you know you have to just accept that sometimes um as a host you might start the show and like people are still drinking and people are still eating their food oh, and then yeah. you're you're watching um comment number seven perform to a full room at this point everybody's paying attention everybody's warmed up everything is just ringing off yeah and you just have to you know like it sucks like it does suck but you kind of have to just have it i've i've always felt that being a host was going to be my token to being exposed mm. to mm-hmm. other people. And with that, I always made a point to make sure I was staying funny and being funny by continuing to write and continuing to practice. Mm. Like even when, and at times it, it would exhaust me and I had to kind of figure out what worked for me. Yeah. But even at, like, like at Flappers, there was a time where, um, I kid you not, 
I remember being on a show every single night at Flappers. Mm. There was a time where I was like there every single night for for or either I was hosting or I was just doing a slot on it. Mm-hmm. And I remember kind of feeling weird about it because I started feeling like, oh, like I'm kind of doing the same set. Right, and right. and for me personally, I started to feel like, well, I'm wasting my own time and development if I'm doing the same set on all these shows mm-hmm. because I'm I'm no longer taking a risk. But like as a person, I I want to be a risk taker. I want to p- always be pushing myself and challenging myself. And if I'm not if I'm not stepping away from my usual set to give myself the opportunity to maybe fall on my face and, and not do so well or learn like oh the the audience doesn't like that or mm-hmm. oh like 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 this 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 punchline you thought was gonna work doesn't really work that well. If I'm not giving my opportunity to fail in that way, then I'm not truly growing as a comedian. And all this exposure I'm getting is is going to waste. Like I truly think that I think it's pretty like like some people um, fall into the habit of thinking, oh, I get booked and invited to do so much stuff because I'm just so great. I don't I don't think at least for me personally, I I do think that I'm a quality comedian, but I think that people have this respect for he's taking it serious. He's, he's he, he is writing this material. He's respecting the show. He's not like some hosts um, will kind of get in like like that scenario I just set up. Um, a host, it is plain ego mm-hmm. when a host will choose in between comedians to start doing jokes. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it's nothing ego. It's nothing but ego. Yep. That is that is that is, the, that is you losing control of your ego and. It happens, mm-hmm. but you have to learn the lesson of that and not do it again. Yep. And understand your because because for me, I think I understand the position of the host. You do. And if I'm able to receive value from it, mm-hmm. understanding it for what it is and not trying to manipulate it into what I wish it could be. No, you, look, uh, man, you're you're really wise. Uh, you were probably the most annoying five year old because you're probably smarter than all the adults in the room. Um, you've got some great insight to it, and trying to translate this just beyond comedy, but it is about truly knowing what you're there to do. And and I'll say this: there's there's some good hosts at Flappers that I enjoy and I see often. Uh, but you, even though you don't do time, all that you know, you do time when you need to do time between the comics. But it's still a Christopher show. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, it is, it still has your imprint on it, but it does not have your ego shadowing at all. And it drives me crazy when a comic's like, that last comic killed. I'm going to do three minutes so I can kill here. You failed at that point. You failed. You failed the show. Yeah. Mm. Well, uh, I don't mean to get off on an old man rant here. Um, um, uh, beyond uh, where you are right now and, and where you're going and, and, uh, where you came from, law school and all those kind of things. Uh, what's where right now is your not end goal, but next phase as a performer, as a writer, as an actor, beyond success. We all want success and sleep on money and piles of cocaine. That's great. But like, do you have so where are you going now as we close this interview? Where's where's Christopher Calvin Blanc going to be in a year as the bougie bisexual? In a year? Yeah. I would have liked to, in a year, I will build a, a community via a following that I can 
feed into and that can support me and allow me to travel to come and see them to based off of that following. I, I want to get to a place where I plan to get to a place where I I will have people who are eager to see what's going on and I can come out and support them wherever they are and they can come out and support me wherever I am. That's beautiful. Well said, well thought, and uh, you're, you're truly one of my favorites and I believe you're gonna achieve this. And I think you're doing great work. I think you're doing funny work, but as you your profile starts to rise, you're gonna have more people show up to shows and say, hey, you've spoken to me uh, by being who you are. And I think that's the best thing you can uh, you can do as a comic. So, Christopher, thank you for coming by. I really appreciate it. You got a show you got to do. I got to get you out of here. But before they leave, before you leave, tell them all uh, where they can find you and your wonderful bougie bisexual self. I am Christopher. You can find me at a bougie bisexual on Instagram and YouTube. Lovely. Look them up, my friends. Thanks for listening to me. As always, you can go to my website for more information. I'll be adding some comedy shows. Mark Ellis and I are going to be heading up to Seattle in late December and more things on the way. And please, if you want to, check out my album, In My Day, recorded live at the Harrison Pub in London back in April. It is up as a special edition with 30 minutes of bonus content on Bandcamp. Uh, go to kenapsack.bandcamp.com. Links down below. And uh, subscribe to the channel. Do these things if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on the podcast, the podcast feed that's been going for over 11 years. I thank you, and we'll see you next time here on The Blathering Conversations.